wanted to talk about t- today. Uh, um, uh, you know, sometimes you kind of you, you get cer- certain thoughts start rolling, and then it becomes bigger than you thought, and um, and that's what happened. I was thinking about some things, and it kind of developed. And I thought, man, I, I would love to just preach into that. And I, I want to speak about this whole idea of of, of um, the various ways that God speaks. Um, I think. Uh, if I have conversations with people, whether they are believers or not, quite a common theme is, is that for those who don't believe, I'd love to hear the voice of God, uh, then I might believe. Uh, to those who do believe, I do believe, but I would love to hear the voice of God more. And I think often when we talk about hearing the voice of God, um, we've obviously done some series on spiritual gifts, prophecy and the like, so I'm not going to be actually focusing on that. But um, what I want to talk about is, is the fact that if, if we're thinking about hearing the voice of God, there are certain things that it's really good to have in place first, certain, if you like, uh, stages or different ways that God speaks that can serve as like a, a foundation and then you can stand on that and get into things like prophecy and visions and that kind of thing. And I want to just look at what that foundation is like. I believe the Bible talks about four ways that God has spoken, if you like, or God has left his signature, God, God has clearly left his mark, where if we get those straight, then we, can, then we, we are sort of fully ready to get into, um, well, the different ways that God speaks in the Bible. So things like visions, uh, dreams, um, even God sending angels to bring messages. All throughout the Bible we read these things, they do happen, and they're good. And they're not to be, uh, if, you, if you approach that stuff suspiciously, something it needs renewing in your mind. Um, because the Bible does not approach those things suspiciously at all. In fact, if you read in, in, in maybe go for the Gospels, either Matthew, Mark, Luke or John or the book of Acts, it's full of remarkable ways of God speaking. Remarkable things. Um, but actually also, a lot of people do get into a lot of trouble with that stuff and end up getting misled in all kinds of funny directions. So I want to look at what are the four ways that God speaks that if we can just get these straight, then we're on to, we're onto a good foundation. Um, that's what I want to look at. And uh, each way, I believe, is, a, is like a stage that leads us in, where God reveals Himself a bit more than the stage uh, than the stage before that. The first stage is creation. The Bible is really clear that God speaks through. Creation. If we just get a scripture up here, uh, Psalm, I think we're going to start with Psalm um, 19. Apparently the, the computer, oh great, apparently the computer is acting a bit slow today, so if, they, if they're delayed, just it's life, it's fine. The Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This is a remarkable scripture. It says really one of the main things that creation does is it declares, it, it, it gives this huge shout to how glorious God is. I don't know how many of you heard the thunderstorms the other week. Oh my goodness, there was one that hit about 5am. I thought it was an explosion. My instinct was to jump out of bed and start running towards the kids' bedrooms shouting out, it's okay, it's okay, which is what I did. Uh, um, Levi was fine, enjoying it anyway, and I think the others were asleep, but I'm just running through the house going, it's okay. It's... <laughs> I love my kids. <laughs> But it was so loud, it was actually quite terrifying, but actually there was something in it that was brilliant. I thought, I need to be terrified more. 
Do you know, you think, actually, you know, this thing we fall into where we can kind of develop quite a big view of ourselves and the somewhat uh, marginal view of God without realising a moment like that and you're like, Lord, forgive me if I've done anything that I shouldn't have done. (laughs) It's the fear of God grips your soul, and rightly so. It's part. It's 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 a good thing for us to be made aware of the greatness of God, to be around incredible um, natural uh, wonders and powers. When you just see creation in all its in all its power, you think, okay, it kind of puts you in your place and makes you realise. Well, you see something of the glory of God in that. That's a good thing. And it's one way that God speaks, if you like, it it declares, it cries out, look at the glory of God. And so even the things, you know, things like sunsets and the like, if it evokes wonder, if you see a sunset and you think, that's a good thing, okay, it's not, if that starts just to get reduced to a simply a scientific formula, though it involves science, of course, as a scientific phenomenon. But if that's all it is, if there's no sense of personality behind it, artistic flourish, you've lost what life is. It's the wonder of God. You go, look, that is extraordinary. That is beautiful. It declares the glory of God. He is glorious. We see these various elements to what God is like through creation. There's personality behind it. We are to celebrate creation, the God of creation, and even to emulate creativity is, is something of an expression of the image of God in us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then there's another, there's another uh, important scripture on this in Romans 1. It says, what can be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about mankind in general, particularly uh, Gentiles, those people who aren't Jews. What, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So, okay, how do, we, how do we know what God's like? Well, his invisible attributes, namely his power, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly perceived, okay, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And then actually he goes on to say, so they are without excuse. Now the reason why he says that, because it sounds a bit stroppy, you think, well, why does he have to put that on the end? Because he's in, in Romans chapter 1, if you want to read it when you get home, if you've got a Bible, he's really painting a picture of the different ways that we've kind of turned against God, the different ways that we've pushed down tr- the tr- what's obviously true about him and kind of sort of closed our eyes to it. So that's why he says that at the end. So what, what Paul says, who wrote Romans, is he's saying that through what has been made, some things are very, very clear to the extent that there's no excuse. And the things that are clear are this. There is a God who is eternally powerful and who is not like us in his nature. He's divine. He's completely unlike us. And if you, if you begin to explore creation and the things that are seen, which obviously leads on to so many things that aren't seen, I don't know the last figure I heard in terms of how many galaxies there were. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Absolute. You just you get lost in it, you know? I mean, our galaxy, if you were to travel across our galaxy at the speed of light, do you know how long it would take you? Just our galaxy. Do you know how long it would take you? 100,000 years at the speed of light, which is about 180,000 kilometers per second. So you travel at 180,000 kilometers per second through our galaxy. That's that's fast. Through our galaxy. It takes you 100,000 years to go end to end. And I've forgotten the latest figure on how many galaxies they reckon there are in the universe. A whole lot. <laughs> it was like a, a certain number, a hundred billion. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You think, what does that say about God? He's very powerful. He, he is very, very powerful. So 
don't get into that thing of when I say God, I'm going to say, you know. <laughs> when you see God, you're probably going to be quite quiet for a while and go, oh. <laughs> the Bible says that every mouth is silenced. In fact, there is one thing we will all say. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's, that's, what, that's one thing we will say. But the, the questions and the raging and the this and the that, they suddenly just go, oh, because you think, oh, you made this, and you're Lord over this. Eternally powerful and divine in nature, which means not like us. Infinite, immortal in and of himself. Totally self-sustaining, without beginning and without end. All-knowing, all-seeing, all-present, all the time. Oh. Now, you know, you've got to bear in mind that there are, in the Bible, we read about some heavenly creatures that are pretty magnificent that take your breath away. And these creatures exist to worship Him. <laughs> He's totally other. So that's the first way God has spoken through creation. You've got to get that right. Because if you want to go off on dreams and visions. <laughs> But you haven't, you haven't settled the fact that he is awesome, he is powerful. Then when you get off your dreams and visions, you're going to do what most people try and do, which is just kind of be like God. <laughs> I'm going to experience of God and be like God, because I'm kind of like God, and I've kind of got this God consciousness. And No. No, through the gospel, God brings us somehow, mysteriously, into fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and makes us part of the family. <sighs> But that's through the gospel. You don't just get, oh, I'll be like God. No. No. So creation is the first thing. We need to take that really, really seriously. Um, I want to say to you, if you're a believer, enjoy creation. We should be the most, we, we as a people should be the most into this amazing creation. Not that we worship it, but that we worship the one who's behind it. And we, we, you know, the Bible says that God delights in the works of his hands. Therefore, we should delight in the works of God's hands. We should enjoy that. We should enjoy one another because God has made us. We should enjoy the, the you know, the, the, the glories and the wonders of all that God has made. It's, it's a good thing, okay? So we really ought to do that. I want to say to you, if you, if you, uh, you, you wouldn't describe yourself as a believer, I want to say, listen, this is the first thing. Look around and look, it's clear. It's clear from what's been made. There is a very powerful God. Don't, don't ignore that. Stage two is what I would describe as the conscience. The conscience is how I would describe it. This script is really important from Romans chapter two. We could just, it says, it says, when Gentiles who don't have the law, right? So Gentiles are non-Jew, so they don't have the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments were given to the Jews. They weren't given to the Gentiles. So we don't have the law in the same way the Jews do. When they, by nature, do what the law requires... They're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. And, and, and so Paul brings, he says, well, look, there's Gentiles, and they haven't got the Ten Commandments, but, you know, some of them, they, they know about things that, that are in the Ten Commandments, kind of just like, by nature, naturally, they kind of tend to know that it's wrong to commit adultery. They sort of know that it's wrong to steal. They, they know these things. And, and so he says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. What he's saying is, is this. He's saying, he's saying when you, as a, just as a normal human being, you have a sense of justice. Kids have the most extreme sense of justice. 
Yeah? I mean, a two-year-old can come wailing into the room, and it's like, what's the matter? And it's like, they took my toy, and they pulled my hair. And it's like, that's out of order, you know? That's wrong. Or, or, or the other one where, you know, you say, like, your young child can say to you something like, you know, um, are, we gonna, are we going to the park today? And you say, no, I'm not going to the park today. You said yesterday we were going to the park today. Well, I know I said that yesterday, but, you know, so much has come up. <laughs> but you said. Well, what is that? What's going on there? Well, it is, it is they want to go to the park, but it also with it is this sense of, hold on a minute. You said. You should stick to what you said. This is unjust. Kids have a very strong sense. What is that? Well, it's the work of the law written on their hearts. There's this morality. It's a funny thing. See, we don't like this either. Because here's the thing. If we was all moral, then we would all go, yeah, at this point. But we're not. So the fact that it's written on our hearts, but we don't always live by it, makes it worse. I'd rather it wasn't written on my heart. Because I can't deny that it is. And when I do these things, my conscience does one of two things. You notice this about your conscience? It will either accuse you. Those moments where you're trying to justify yourself, but your conscience is going, no! That thing in you, which just, you know, it's like that delicate thing. And when you've troubled it, it's like it's impossible to live with. It accuses you or it excuses you. I.e., someone can say to you, you shouldn't have done that. But your conscience is going, no, 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 I know, no, it's not. I know you're saying I shouldn't have, but it's okay. I feel excused by my conscience. See, what is that? Well, that is, that is, the, that is the signature of God. It's totally different from any other, any other kind of living thing as a human. It's, it's like, it, on my heart, it's ri- I know what's right and I know what's wrong. Now, if over time I can push it down and make myself believe something else, I can really mess with my conscience. Conscience is something you can kind of stamp on so much <laughs> that in the end it stops working. You can do that. Or you can have a really overactive conscience and you just spend your whole life feeling guilty. Conscience is a delicate thing and it needs to be educated and, and looked after. Okay? But actually the fact that the, that the works of the law written in your heart, even though you've never been given the Ten Commandments, and your conscience is there saying, yeah, or, or no, that shows, that's God, that's the handiwork of God. Even there's a, there's a, there's a philosopher called Immanuel Kant, a very, very famous philosopher uh, from the 18th, uh, the 18th century. And I was reading this uh, about him recently because uh, I'm clever like that and I read these kinds of things. And it says, uh, it says, uh, <laughs> it's a joke. Um, it said, Kant believed that everyone carried with them, it's, this guy wasn't a believer. Uh, Kant believed that everyone carried with them a genuine sense of what one ought to do in a given situation. Everyone carries in them what one ought to do. I know what he ought to do. He called this the categorical imperative because he was clever. He wanted to give it a name like that. Um, he believed there's two things that fill the soul with an ever new and growing wonder and reverence. The starry heavens above and the moral law within. This is important to note because even in the realm of secular philosophy, there's historically been an awareness of conscience. So it's interesting. This whole idea of conscience is a very unique and powerful thing. Uh, I think I might next week I've got a hunch that I might just spend the whole um, message on conscience and just how to get a, a Christian conscience because it's actually really intriguing and important that we, that we look at that but this is, a big, this is the second thing um, so the first thing, uh, creation we know, okay, God is powerful and glorious second thing, as a result of this glory in my heart I know that God is moral and just 
So I'm, I'm learning every. So I'm, I'm getting a foundation. So he's powerful and glorious, okay. And now I know he's moral and he's just. So if my visions and supernatural experiences take me off, oh, I had this vision and I must go and commit adultery with this person. No. People do that. They do these wicked things and then they justify it by some experience they had or some being told them to do it. Now get your foundation right. First creation, God is powerful and glorious, not like us. So whatever, whatever God does speak through dreams and visions, actually it should leave us with a sense of he is awesome. Secondly, he's moral and just. Okay? So he, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just say these things, he lives these things. This is his heart. He is utterly faithful. Right? So, okay, so we've got the second thing. Now, what's the third thing? Um, you doing all right? Are you still? Yep, cool. The third thing is called the prophets, which is another way of talking about the Old Testament. It says this in the book of Hebrews. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So... Um, many times, so we've got a load of different prophets in this book. You've probably heard of some of their names, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, etc. So many different times and many different ways. There were different ways that God would speak to these prophets. You, you can, as you read the Old Testament, you can find out um, these different ways. And um, so what we find out is God then gives us a, a, an even more developed revelation of what he's like to these prophets. And you find out certain things. First of all, you find out God has got a promise. Now, this is beautiful. Also, the Old Testament, there's this whole idea that God deals with people on the basis of promise, which means he's not casual. God isn't just like, oh, yeah, well, we'll kind of hook up and see how it goes. He's not like that. He's, he's not like that. Yeah, he's a God who makes big promises to Abraham and to Abraham's offspring. And he, 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 the whole thing is built on this word covenant, which is basically just a word describing a very solemn agreement between two parties. And it's built on these binding promises. So God promises because he's faithful. Only faithful people promise. You know, otherwise, you, if you're not, you don't want to get into that promise stuff. It's too, oh, no, 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 because I might break it. <laughs> God promises. God is a God of promise. So that's why, you know, Christians ought to be confident because, they, because the God who we serve has promised in Jesus Christ to never leave us or forsake us. That's huge. I mean, that is massive. That's like, he will never leave me or forsake me, right? So no matter what the mood is, you know, moods, you get moods, no matter what mood I'm in, no matter if I'm tired or not tired, no matter this or that, he will never leave me or forsake me, and he's a God of promise. So actually, I feel, a, what happens is, in my heart, there begins to be this growing confidence. It's like, okay, right. And then through years of following him, you realize he really is faithful. She doesn't go. <laughs> she doesn't go. Like a persistent lover. Still here. Man. So he reveals through the old covenant because he's constantly calling his people back through the prophets saying, I made a covenant with you. You said you were going to follow me. You said that I was going to be your God. You were going to be my people, but you've gone this way. You've gone that way. And God, he, he sort of says things like, okay, I'm going to give you up. And then he comes back, he says, but not forever. And he, he, he constantly, and then even there was one man called, called Hosea. And he said, I want you to marry a prostitute. And, and, it really, and, and, and he did it, and this woman was unfaithful again and again. And Hosea was a prophet, and God said, I want your life to be, your life is a picture, Hosea, of what it's like for me. My people are constantly in their hearts going astray. I'm still here, I'm not going anywhere. It's just the faithful, covenant-keeping, promising nature of God. It's beautiful. So you see that his promise, he's a God of promise, then he's a God of patience. 
It's like century after century after century, he's still there. And he doesn't give up. Patience is a powerful thing. He's all right. It's cool. It's cool. The little baby's cool, so don't worry. Um, I can shout louder than a baby. I've got the mic. It's fine. So he's a patient, patient God. And it's like, uh, you know, you just sort of think, you know those people, in, you, they just have the long, long fuse. It's just long. It's just like, wow, God's fuse just goes. It's just like there's no end to it. Well, there is an end to it. But we'll get to that at the end of the message. But it's long. Trust me, it's like millennium long. It's like long, long, long. Patient, patient, patient. He holds off judgment. He holds off judgment. And then even when he brings it, he tries to bring it in a way that will cause his people to come back to him. It's like patient. It's a God of patience. Patience is a powerful thing. It's the key element of love. Love is patient. Still here. Still here. Not turn the other way. I'm still here. It's wonderful. And and he sees a God of purpose. He keeps speaking over his people. I've got plans for you, for good and not for harm, to give you a hope and a future. I've got great things in store for you. He's a God of a wonderful purpose. He speaks about the way he wants his people to shine in the whole earth. And and as a result of their shininess, for all the other nations to look on and get to know him. He's a God of great, great purpose. He doesn't just sort of say, oh, yeah, you can come sort of be with me and we'll kind of, you know, we'll just hang out. No, he's like, I've got glorious purposes for you. It's amazing, this, this stuff on dreams we was hearing about earlier. I mean, you can, li- you can experience, your experience of life can beat you up so much that you don't dream anymore. You just think, you know what, like, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? You don't dare to. Because you think, but if, you know, if you've, ex- if you've experienced some of the really rough stuff, you think, and you just get into a mode of, well, we'll get by, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll make do. And I totally understand that. I think, to be honest, God's revealing to me that my mentality is a bit... A bit like that, and he's, he's, so I'm being personally very challenged on that at the moment. I don't, you know, it just I think there's always layers, you know, layers of stuff in you. God shows you, you think, oh yeah, I'm a bit like that. Actually, God God wants to put dreams in you, and then He wants to really grip you with them, and then and then say to you, I'm going to fulfil them. Just trust me. And it, I'm not just talking about, you know, oh, I, you know, I want to be on the X Factor or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking about, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like most kids' dreams just want to be famous. You know, it's most kids' uh, thing now. Um, it's not actually that glorious, to be honest. Just say that. I'm not, you know, if you want to do X Factor, go for it. But um, there's, God's got more. God's got really amazing things. And it's like, um, it's like, he wants to, he wants, through Jesus, he wants to restore his glory in you. And, and then out of that, uh, just bring you into a, a life that's fruitful. It's fruitful. He doesn't want you to be like a barren old tree sat there. Fruitful. I saw some amazing thing today. If I was more technically savvy, I'd put it up on the screen like Simon does when he's here. But I don't know how to get it from that to that. But I was walking past a block of flats, and there was this concrete staircase. And growing out of it was a tree. It was only a little tree, probably about that tall, about a metre high, but it was a tree. And it was growing out of a concrete staircase. I was, you know, you just think, that shouldn't be there. And it was like the, the stair, it wasn't like on the ground floor, it was like the staircase was about three metres high. And it's concrete, I guess about, I don't know, 10 centimetres, 20 centimetres, and then a tree growing out of it. You think, how's that doing that? That shouldn't. 
Where's that finding the nutrient? How is that working? It's remarkable. But was, you know, sometimes you're struck by something. And you know, the, actually the Bible uses that image quite a lot of like um, trees coming out of deserts and stuff like that. Actually it uses that image of Jesus. It's like, it's like a root coming out of parched ground. Remember someone said about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, it wasn't known for its uh, mighty people. This Jesus is, do you know what? No matter where you've come from, or what your background, or how parched you look at your, so he, can cause, he can cause a beautiful tree to grow out of it. He really can. And it's because of his promise, his patience, his purpose. It's him. But he can do it. So, so, so through the prophets then, we get, okay, now, okay, I get it now. So now if I get dreams and visions and it's not lined up, it's, it's not built on the promises of God, it's not about his purposes, it's all kind of all about me and not sort of patient in the timing of God. Nonsense. Right, so we get a good foundation now. Final thing says this. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, that's Jesus, whom he appointed by the uh, heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There is something very final about God's word in Jesus. It's like uh, the, Jesus said to one of his disciples who said, show us the Father. Jesus said, if anyone's seen me, they've seen the Father. Wow. That's huge. That's not Jesus saying, I'm kind of similar, I'm a messenger, I'm, I'm godly. No. If, you don't, if you're a prophet, you don't say things like that. If you're a prophet, if you're just a prophet, you say, thus says the Lord. No prophet. Would this is utterly unique for someone to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is this? Jesus perfectly reveals what God is like. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. He is the final statement. He is, he is ultimate um, theology, as I heard a preacher say this week. It's all in him. He sums up God perfectly. There's nothing, if, it's, if, it, if you think, oh, I wonder if God's like that. If you can't see it in Jesus, no. He is the final word. He is God's final word in every way. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, he's the revelation of God. And you know what? I always, I'm always struck by this. He's, he, 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 he reveals a God who is better than you could have imagined. He absolutely reveals a God who is so much better than you could have ever imagined. Probably the things, the things that a lot of people hate, actually, you know, about the idea of God, actually Jesus hated. Well, he was, I don't like all that God stuff, full of hypocrites. Well, Jesus actually was very severe with hypocrites, really severe. Or why don't the church, why don't the church care for the poor? Well, Jesus really, really care for the poor. God is not into hypocrites and is really into the poor. Well, I wish God was compassionate if he's out there. Jesus was so compassionate. Most of his miracles, we're told, come out of compassion. We read of Jesus just, he's moved with compassion. Something happens, and he heals the sick, and he feeds the hungry. He's extraordinary. He's absolutely extraordinary. He is the final word on what God is like. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. The main thing to say is that um, when we see Jesus, we understand that God is saying, do you know what? Job done. It's like any vision you're going to get or experience in God, if it doesn't come out of Jesus and lead you back to Jesus, 
Don't worry about it. Let it blow away. It's tough. It's all about Jesus. It's all about you. God has, the Bible says that God has given him the name above every other name. God, the Father loves it when we exalt Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that when, when, every, when it's the end and everyone's, every knee bows and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ is Lord, that is to the glory of God the Father. That is what glorifies the Father when we glorify the Son. It, this is how it works. And so there's absolute finality of revelation in Jesus Christ. So in these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the writings of the apostles, it basically they're just unpacking the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Bible says of Jesus that all the, all the secrets of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. So if someone says, I've got a spiritual secret for you. Oh, and I tell you it, and there's nothing to do with Jesus. Just say, cheers. <laughs> all, the, all of the treasures and secrets of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. He's the one. He's the, he's the revelation. He's the, it's all in him. The unsearchable tr- treasures of Christ. It's, it's all about him. It's all about, he is God's final word. And so, actually, there's something very assuring in this, and, and which is why sometimes people struggle with Christians, because they think, it's like, how can I put it? I'm not, I don't have spiritual curiosity anymore. I just, I can't even pretend to. No, you want to be nice sometimes. Now someone says, oh, you know, I'm into some bizarre thing. And I want to be nice, do you know what I mean? But there's no curiosity there, there's none. Why? Because in Christ are hidden all the mysteries of wisdom and knowledge. I found him. I found him. So I have, a, I, have a, I have a raging thirst and hunger to know Jesus better. Absolutely. But if it's, if it's not in Jesus, it's just like, okay. Um, well, you do that, and then when it proves to be empty, come back, because I'd, I'd love to just tell you about Jesus. Because he's the one. And uh, people can excuse, mistake it for arrogance. People can mistake it for coming across wrong. But when you know, you know. And you, you can't pretend you don't. And uh, God has spoken in Christ. And these are the beautiful things about him. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He's seated at the Father's right hand. He's made purification for sins. He's done it. He has done it. He's done it. He's done it. He's done it. He's done all the work needed to totally reconcile us to God. And so we can be actually intimate with God. Not just kind of, uh, kind of involved, actually in the bosom of God. We can be brought into close relationship with God through Jesus. He is the son who makes us sons. He's, he's the son who says outrageous things to the father like, you've loved them with the same love which you love me. The Bible writers can say that we are now one spirit with Christ. I mean, this is outrageous what he's done. And our lives should be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that should involve hearing from God, and it should involve visions and dreams and wonderful things, but the whole of it is is filled with and infused with love for Jesus Christ. That's how this thing works. And it's an absolute pleasure and privilege to be involved. And so after the first block, you might say, well, whoever God is... After just creation, you might say, whoever he is, he's, he's glorious and powerful. And then after the second revelation of, of the conscience, you might say, well, whoever God is, he's glorious and he's powerful and he's moral and he's just. And then after the third revelation of the prophets, you might say, well, whoever God is, he's, he's kind of glorious and powerful and he's, and he's moral and, uh, and he's just and he's 
patient and he's purposeful and he keeps his promises. But after this final one, you don't say whoever God is anymore. You say, ah, I see who God is. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Represented in their nature perfectly through the person of Jesus Christ. And you bow the knee. And you enjoy the glory and the wonder of knowing God. This is what we are about. This is the privilege that we are about. This is the foundation. This is the foundation. And all those in the New Testament that we read about Paul going, being taken to the third heaven and hearing inexpressible things, the man was consumed. He said, my goal in life is to know him. I want to know Jesus. Peter falling into a trance and seeing this amazing vision of clean and unclean food and all this thing. He just, what, what did Jesus want to know about him? Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. All the, all the mighty divines down the ages, saint this and saint that, had these wonderful experiences. What did they leave behind? Churches that love Jesus. Because this is what God is doing. Get this in place. Get this settled and let every experience you have be founded on this and it will be healthy and purposeful and we will be living spirit-empowered lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.